Welcome to Big Boy Church. Well, hello, and welcome back to Big Boy Church. My name is Pastor Nate Trawick, joined by Pastor Chris Porter on a cold-ish Tuesday night in early February 2024. So, uh, had a fun Sunday, had a good Sunday at church. Uh, Chris uh, preached, maybe, hopefully, his last sermon in John 6 this time around. What you think? Uh, definitely my last sermon this go around in That's John good. chapter 6. Pastor Chris Kersey, I think, is going to preach one more for us in chapter 6 <laughs> this upcoming Lord's Day. How many uh, How many more do you think you could preach in John 6? Oh, at least five. Easy. <laughs> Easy. Uh, so much there. So much there. But it's not too bad here in the Lego studio. I've got heat out here. And you got to keep the Legos in, in good good temperature yeah. or they get upset. Yeah. Yeah. They they don't want to go back together. No, yeah, it it gets bad. All the all the cowboys and Indians and Star Wars figures, they start fighting and yeah, mm. and you don't want that. No, no, not good. Not good. It's not be like good. night at the museum with the the Romans and the cowboys it, it fighting. It is, man. These things got a mind yeah. of their own. So you got to keep them I happy. Forgot how, I forgot how funny that movie was. We watched it the other night. It's pretty funny. Oh, funny I haven't seen that one in a so. while. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of Owen Wilson goes a long way. But, Classic. Uh, yeah, had a little bit of that false spring there that got me thrown off. But oh, it are. was nice, wasn't it? Ah, uh, no, I like the cold. Oh, I like I'm, the cold weather. I'm ready for the summer, my friend. <laughs> uh, well, cool. So uh, last time talked about uh, the Lord's Day and what the church is to do on the Lord's Day. I thought that was uh, our is, best podcast yet. You thought it was? I thought it was. I thought it was great. Well, there you go. I I didn't think about it in those terms. I didn't really try to compare it to the other ones. I guess I maybe should try to compare it in my head. That way I know if we're getting better or worse. But well, I think I think the subject matter was just better. I think the subject matter. I don't was know better. that we're getting any better. We may be getting worse actually. But <laughs> I, th- I think the subject matter was uh, a much needed one, and and it's probably got six views. But I pray it'll have ten by the you know yeah. end of the month. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah, I love that most of the feedback I've gotten from people who listen to the podcast is, uh, you guys are funny, which is like not at all. <laughs> that's what, what we're going for. for. Hey, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, I was so, worried we were too serious, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so glad glad it's not too dry for everybody. So, uh, but tonight we are um, we've been hitting a lot of ecclesiology uh, study of the church. I guess there's a good um, word that's lost. Yeah, big word that's lost for Big Boy Church, but uh, just uh, Chris told me to pick a subject. We've got a running list of, uh, I don't know, probably a year's worth of ideas uh, that we can do here. And so if you y'all listen to up, the podcast and you have any suggestions, please let us uh, know. Contact.harvestbc at gmail.com. Oh, look at that. Look at so, that. That's official. fancy, Nate. So, yeah. Pastor, yeah, so. Pastor Nate, that's... That's quite fancy there. Yeah, yeah. Official, moving up in the world. But, there we go. Um, so, yeah, congregationalism is the subject of the hour. Um, probably will take at least that long, and then we probably won't have touched half of it. So, um, tonight... Uh, this one Chris, may I, make people uncomfortable, by the way. Yeah. I, see, I don't know. I've always been so, like, unsure of like where people stand on this issue because I think when you look at uh, Southern Baptist life, just to narrow it down there, because um, there's certainly other congregational denominations, right? There's um, congregationalists, right? That's a whole thing in and of itself. Um, but, I may be wrong uh, here in, uh, in, in church history, but I think congregationalists come before Baptists, actually. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, I think ba- Baptists kind of come out of congregationalism. Because from what I've what I've read, like Calvin and Luther were kind of starting some of the ideas there for congregationalism. We definitely have the priesthood of believers with Luther, yeah. and uh, I'm and you, you you really don't have that with Geneva and Calvin because Calvin's in Geneva everybody has to go to church; it's a law. Um, sure. And so you know, there's not. It, it's kind of hard at that point to to say. 
you know, who's Christian, who's not, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so congregationalism is, is um, but you had the same thing in Luther too. I mean, so it's a, it, it's a whole different kind of culture, you know, take, mm. but at the same time, the Bible's never changed in that. And so as they were getting back, you know, the Reformation was really a literature movement back to the originals, you know, mm. back started out with a group of people trying to get back to the Greek text, but not Bible Greek text, trying to figure out how to rebuild uh, Roman cities. And so mm. all those trying to get back to the original led to uh, people, Christians, trying to get back to um, the original Bible text, which kind of brought the Bible back out. And the humanists, they were called, uh, not in the sense that we use that word, but humanists um, then trying to get back to the original kind of writings. And so that's when they went back to the Greek and Hebrew text. And so uh, Luther and, and others were Greek and Hebrew scholars. They really were. And so um, they got back to the original. And so the Bible, you know, as the Reformation, that's one of the saying of the Reformation is always reforming. As we continue to grow in the scriptures and continue to study them and live them out, we hope to build on that. We've talked about that. Uh, we, you know, we talked about. I think in one of our earlier episodes, we kind of think Baptists are the natural outworking of the Reformation. Hmm. But yep, I, I do sure. think, to your point, that Presbyterians, um, what little I know of that denomination, um, Methodists, they're all. All Protestants do have a sense of congregationalism. Once again, I just think it's on that spectrum of how congregational you are. And I think that depends on what responsibilities fall on the members of the church compared to what responsibilities fall on the leaders of the church. Yeah, so, and I think, I think that's where it is. So before we get too much into the weeds, I do think it'd be helpful just to define congregationalism how would you define congregationalism yeah i think congregationalism is the full-on sense i think it is the belief that a church that the church members are the final rule and and dictate the what and the who of the church the what meaning the doctrine of the church and the who meaning who is in and out of the church so um, I think that is congregationalism. So just to be honest, most Southern Baptist churches, that in my experience, the only thing they congregationally do is vote on the pastor. And that might happen average, and sadly, in a Southern Baptist church happens on average, you know, once every three years. So mm -hmm. they're voting on something once, and they might, you know, vote on the budget once a year. Um, you know, um, but other than that, that's about it. That's about as far as congregational as they go. But that is congregationalism. So, yeah, and I was going to say, to be fair there, those two things are incredibly important roles uh, for a congregational church to accomplish. Um, and I, I don't want to say that uh, the churches that stop there are doing a bad thing in doing that. No. They just need to do more. A hundred percent. I would just say that's not even close to the most important responsibilities. No, absolutely. That they absolutely. should be doing. Yeah. And so, and maybe we can talk about some of the misconceptions with full orb congregationalism um, that uh, that we're trying to see. And, and we keep saying this, but it's true at Harvest. I think the difficult thing that I have, and Nate, you talk, speak to this on your own, but I think we're trying to seek the Lord and trying to bring about and be a part of something at Harvest that we've never been a part of. We've mm -hmm. never seen. And it's a really a reformation of my own life. You know, trying... Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think every... One of the things, let me back up, going through COVID, you know, it's... Uh, and last, we were talking about communion and going through COVID and how different... You brought up some faithful pastors. And I'll just be honest with you, I think that was a tough time. If you pastor through COVID, you deserve extra crowns. Like, hmm. I just, you know, I think every <laughs> pastor who was leading a church, which I was not at the time, um, but every lead pastor, you know, through COVID, they had to do what they felt was right for their congregation, you know, and, and they'll stand before the Lord to give, you know, to be responsible for how they led during that time. But, man, to each their own in a sense, like, that was a tough time, you know? Hmm. And so, in the same way, I don't think pastors are being unfaithful by not being full or congregational. I, I just think it's a, 
it's something we're trying to say. We're trying to go to the text of Scripture and say, how can we be as faithful as we can? And I am almost sure we don't have it right all the way. And I, I don't want to point at people and say who aren't trying to do what we're going to talk about tonight and say, well, they're not, they're not doing it right. I just think maybe it's something they haven't thought much about. Maybe it's something, um, maybe people listening to this who are church members of other churches, maybe it's something they haven't thought much about. But I do want to press them a little bit and say, this may be something you really need to think a lot about because it is super important. Super yeah. important. Yeah, and I think in my, just in the, the journey of planning Harvest and being a part of everything that we've done and thought and said, uh, just, you know, being reformed to use the word being a product of the reformation um you know we we hold to the five solas sola scriptura uh being one of those and um you know if maybe you don't identify as reformed hopefully you hold to second timothy three sixteen, um at least uh, which is one of the primary scriptures that that doctrine comes from um but uh in my mind in starting harvest um, it's very easy to say that you hold the sola scriptura. It's very easy just to, in practice, say, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in the sufficiency of scripture. Um, but like you said, in planning harvest and in uh, really trying to lead our people and encourage them and teach them towards biblical faithfulness, um, it has been a really uh, big challenge in my own life of, okay, do you, do you actually believe the scriptures are sufficient? Right. Um, m- more so even than, well, I mean, I remember one of the things you said very early on that is just stuck with me. And, um, as we start thinking about making decision, it, it usually comes back into my brain just in thinking about, uh, you know, what we're trying to do at harvest, um, in being faithful is you said very early on. And, and I, I've come to try to make this my own mindset as, you know, if we're going to fail, let's fail being faithful. Right. Um, if we're going to do this, if it's going to crash and burn, let's let it crash and burn doing what the Bible says. Um, Absolutely. And um, that's a scary place to be. Um, but, I mean, it's just I, in my own life, just in seeing what um, God has for his people in his word in terms of just the way that things are supposed to work and function in his bride. Um, it's just been so beautiful and encouraging for me to see something that I've never seen before, right? Something that, um, uh, you know, we've never experienced. And um, again, that's not a knock on other churches, but just a call for them to join in the journey, right? And right. trying to, Absolutely. to search the scriptures. And so. And it's, man, I, I just, I can I think what you just said could not be said. It needs to be said so much louder and on every every platform that it can be said to Christians is the sufficiency of scripture. Hmm. Is the Bible sufficient to be followed in church life and hmm. how the church runs? And this is such a practical thing. How many books, Nate, are about discipleship programs? Hmm. How many Christian books have been written about discipleship? I mean, millions. I mean, yeah. th- there's 100,000 discipleship programs out there. Most pastors, and I've been in this place thinking, what are, how am I going to disciple my people? Okay, how are we going to do that? Like, what's what's the steps going to be? Like, what's the programs going to be? I just want to say, congregationalism is the answer. Hmm. And here, I just I'll, I'll just get to it because I think it's it's here it is. Um, when you become a church member, and that's what we're talking about here in a sense is church membership. When you become a church member. It's it, it. There are blessings to it. There are things that you receive from being a church member that if you were not a church member, such as care from elders, um, being a part of a family that all vow to help disciple you and have a stake in your life. All You have a group of people now, not just your immediate family, but this spiritual family that you are now adopted into, that all the people in there are adopted and children of God, this local body of Christ that have a stake in your life and you have a stake in their life. So there's that unity that comes with church membership that is a blessing, but more than that, it's responsibility. Hmm. Congregationalism is about church members taking responsibility. And it's it's not 
it's responsibility to be the church. It, it gets away from, congregational gets away from, we pay the professionals to do the church things, and we show up on Sunday for the show. That's what much of American Christianity has become. Congregationalism get, is the opposite side of that. <laughs> Congregationalism says, as a church member, it is your responsibility. You have now the burden, if I can use that. You now have the great weight of dictating and deciding what the doctrine of your local church is. You now have the great burden and responsibility of deciding who is a part of that church and who is not a part of that church. Uh, What's bigger than that? Mm. And so that's discipleship. You maturing to a place where you're ready to take on that kind of ownership, where you're ready to make those kind of decisions. And our job as pastors is, is not now is not to do the work of the ministry, though we are to do the work of an evangelist and we are to do the work of the ministry. But our main job is now training church members to do the work of the ministry, to be the church, which is to determine the doctrine of the church and declare who is in and out of the church. And that's that's huge, man. That's like that um, one. It's a great weight off the elders, but at the same time, it's a great responsibility on the elders to be able to train every Christian who's a member of your church to be able. To, and, and so, if you take what we're talking about, and you take the church um, where church members just vote on the pastor and the budget, right? Or just vote once a year or once every 10 years on the pastor, once every 20 years on the pastor, whatever, right? What are those church members, how are they actually a part of the church the rest of the time? What we're saying is church members should be a part of the church all the time. Like um, just coming up here in the next couple months, we're going to be voting on um, the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy, whether or not our church wants to adopt that as a one of our statements of faith, that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God according to that statement. And so we just voted on one last year about um, the Danvers statement, what a man and a woman is biblically. So, um, And we vote on church members. We've got one coming on very soon, about three new church members, and we had to vote last year on many church members and some out of the church. So um, we we see our church members at Harvest being very active every every members meeting about those two things. So anyhow, no, I think that's really good because what what we're saying and what we're arguing for is that scripture is not just sufficient for you to feel better about yourself, which I feel like is how most Christians today see it. It's this mm. self-help book that they can go to, to find the answers to right. all their life's problems in. Um, but what we're arguing for is that the Bible itself being that it's God's word for his people, um, is sufficient in everything that the Christian needs. And we've got an episode idea uh, for the regulative principle, and we'll get there. Um, but uh, that's the regulative principle like we talked about last week, again, coming up. But um, when you think about that, uh, when you think about the fact that Scripture is sufficient for um, the church, even in the area of polity, um, you know, and then you think about the Reformation, how it is a return to the scriptures. Um, I, I can't help but think about um, some of the other uh, polity models that are out there that we've already discussed. Um, and, and like you were talking about, how it's about come to the show, let the professionals do the job. Um, and how it's so easy when you understand that, you know, what polity is and how a church is structured matters. Um, it's so easy to look then and see, for instance, um, at the Roman Catholic Church, and you see, uh, you know, the Pope is the head of the church and what he says goes, um, and he can say things that are on par with scripture, and um, really in the Roman Catholic Church, the, the people aren't even really part of the church. It's just the, the structure that the bishops and the cardinals and the Pope um, and you see very clearly play out in the life of that church, like you're talking about in terms of, uh, you know, the benefits for, for our end, um, in terms of discipleship and all this, you see very clearly 
when you start to look at and examine these other polity models, um, which is which talking about the Roman Catholic Church, it's it's you know, I don't think it's any mistake that some of the same shortcomings you see in the Roman Catholic Church is the same shortcomings you see in be the big evangelical church today in America, um, and I don't mean evangelical church in the way that. Um, Harvest Baptist is Harvest Baptist Evangelical Church. Thank you, Chris. Easy. Um, <laughs> I mean, big evangelical church from kind of your stereotypical modern megachurch where the pastor essentially functions as a pope. Um, and what you see in those churches is uh, just rampant uh, immaturity in the faith. You see um, people who literally just show up and have no part in anything. Um, and so polity, um, I want to I make the argument early on in this episode that how you structure your church, if you're a pastor, if you're planning a church, or if you're a church member and uh, you're listening to this and uh, you're considering, you know, how uh, your church is structured, how you structure a church and um, how the church that you're a part of structure is directly going to impact the spiritual life of the people who are in the church. Um, I I don't think we need to to gloss over that. Um, But you've mentioned several things. Uh, you, you talked about the priesthood of believers earlier a little bit, um, and I think that's a, a core principle when we think about uh, congregationalism. Um, maybe just dive into what you mean by that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, so the priesthood of believers, um, just like a little church history for a second. John Huss, uh, early 1400s, about 100 years before Luther comes on the scene, um, Luther was condemned as being a Hussite, and... When, when John Huss was burned at the stake at, um, at, a, at a Catholic council, and the name of it escapes me at the minute. I'm very ashamed of that, actually. Um, maybe you can help me there, Nate. Um, but he was, um, it, was a, it was the last diet before the Diet of Worms, and that's why Luther had every right to be scared because <laughs> Huss was burned at the one before it, um, about 100 years before it. Council of Constance. Thank you, the Council of Constance, and um, so Huss, Huss, Huss's big one of the big reasons he was burned at the stakes because he literally told the Pope, because um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church they see the Church as not the Christians who are like members of the Roman Catholic Church, mm. but as the Pope, the cardinals, and the priests and the bishops, and that the, that's the Church. Well, uh, and so when when you when they say the Church says they mean that body of leaders headed by the Pope, right? And, and Huss's response was, well, the Pope can't even know he's a Christian. <laughs> well, th- mm. that's enough to get you burned at the stake. So, mm. uh, yeah, So and Luther comes to talking about this priesthood of believers, and that's developed on that every Christian, and First Peter, too, is a royal priesthood. Um, Christ has redeemed a kingdom of priests. And so to see that Christians are this priestly, every man, woman who is a redeemed child of God in the church has priestly duties, so pastoral care duties. Hmm. And so we even bring that into our covenant at Harvest, that we covenant together to take care of one another. And there is certainly a different kind of care that pastors have over church members, um, more directly so. But we also want to make sure our church members understand that you should care for one another. That you, ha- you know, that when so and so is going through something, it, as pastors, we're going to do all we can to help and and love and see through those difficult situations and suffering. But just as much that the fellow church members um, have covenanted to. Hmm. Um, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, you know, and be sorrowful with those who are going through sorrows and weep with those that weep. So we just want to pass that along, you know. And so whenever we go through certain church discipline issues or whatever, we want to bring that to the church's attention. You know, one of the things we try to do at Harvest, um, we haven't made much of this, but it is very intentional. We try to have a time of prayer for church members, at the end of our service, sometimes we throw it in the middle, but church members we know that are sick. You know, we don't put those, you know, um, when I was growing up, we you'd have a prayer list that had names on it. You remember that on the back of the bulletin? Mm-hmm. There was something to that. There was something special mm-hmm. about that. Um, and in modern church, the announcements of all the programs has taken the place of that prayer list. Yeah. 
and I'm not saying you shouldn't have announcements and talk about what's going on in your church. You, you definitely should. What I am saying, though, is that we should, um, we should let the congregation know of people who are suffering, going through hard times, if it's allowable, you know, depending on the situation. And we, we want to pray for them. And we want to do that. We want to pray together for those people. But we also do that so that, that other church members know what's going on in each other's lives week by week so that they might care for one another. Hmm. No, absolutely. And I think um, when you look at the Catholic Church, like you were talking about, um, and the priesthood of believers, uh, you know, when they say we are the church and talking about the, the leadership, um, they miss totally that. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 very clearly is talking to a body of believers in Corinth. Um, and uh, when you keep in mind that the letters that were written to these churches were to be read at the Lord's Day gathering and were read to the whole church, um, not just to the pastor. Uh, and when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ and together members of it. Um, you know, I think that's just very clear cut, plain uh, that. Uh, the church is not um, an event, which is how the modern church views it. Um, the church is not this elite group of thinkers, as maybe the, the Catholic church thought of it for a while there. Um, or, uh, you know, however you want to put that. I don't know if elite group of thinkers is the best way to put uh, that. You know, well, Paul is getting that right in First Corinthians. Not many, not many noble, not many yeah, strong. That's true. You know, yeah. God's chosen the weak things of this world to confound the wise. And so, you know, when you think about that and you think about how God, um, through Jesus, uh, has uh, or is in the process of making for himself a temple, Ephesians uh, 2, um, and you see that God is doing that through the work of uh, the gospel, uh, and you consider that in that he has made for himself uh, these priests who are to uh, oversee the church, um, and its doctrine and its membership, like you've been talking about, um, it's just a beautiful picture. And like we've been saying, I think it's just, if, if you don't go there, um, if you don't get there with your, with your church, if you don't, um, if you don't make the decision to say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is we're we're going to, we're going to be obedient to what scripture is saying here. Uh, you just miss so much of the richness, like we've been talking about, uh, of what's available for, um, and we should, we should talk about. What I mean, we haven't really hit on. We've kind of hit on what we think congregational is, but what Scripture says about it and where it says yeah. it, I think that's needed. Um, because you know, what is the Scripture warrant for what we're talking about? Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And uh, the texts that jump out in my mind is Matthew sixteen and Matthew eighteen. Mm. Um, you know, and directly we could you could just go to Matthew eighteen where where Jesus is talking about the church, right? And Jesus mm. is talking about his church. And he says that when a brother um, is in sin, one should go to him. If he doesn't repent, um, two should go. If he doesn't repent, um, he should be brought to the church. Mm. And and if if he doesn't repent, then the church should treat him like a tax collector, right? Um, and a and a and a sinner. So, um, in other words, to be thrown out of of the church, to be excommunicated. And so the church, he, he didn't say bring them to the pastors, the elders, you know. So he, he it's the church. There's a church's responsibility here to speak. Mm-hmm. There's a church's responsibility to act, right? And in First mm-hmm. Corinthians five, right, there's a situation where a man sleeping with his stepmother seems his father's wife. Paul says he's an apostle, right? Paul's an apostle. He says I've already judged the man, but um, this apostle tells the church. He never mentions the pastor. Never mentions the elders. He says that the church, when they gather, are to also throw this man out of the church. So almost mm-hmm. as an apostle, he he's an apostle. He's one of the twelve apostles, <laughs> right? I mean, he could he could say, "Hey, I judge the man; it's over." But he doesn't. He says, "I've made a judgment call here. Now you make the call." Mm-hmm. It's that church's call, you know. I mean, he's an apostle, but he yeah. he he's seen that. It, what we're talking about in congregationalism is authority. We're talking about who has the authority to mm. who say who's in and out of the church. And we're talking about Matthew 16, the keys to the kingdom. Who ha, who has this authority 
of the keys to the kingdom. And I think the, the amazing thing about what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 16 is those keys have not been given to pastors. Hmm. Those keys have been given to church members, that responsibility, that authority. And surely pastor has authority too. It's just a different kind of authority, right? Yeah. Like a, a basketball game, okay? Like surely in a basketball game, the point guard has a certain kind of authority, Right, like he's he might call the play, he might, you know, throw up the hand signal for whatever, you know, action he wants to see run. Uh, but the referee also has an authority, right? He has a different kind of authority, and the coach has a different kind of authority, right? So there's all kind of authorities at play there, um, and that somehow work together. And we're saying the same. Who, who has the ultimate authority in the church? Well, that's Christ. He's the head of the church. He has the ultimate authority, right? But the pastors have another kind of authority, right? Hebrews um, submit to the elders of the church, right? So there's another kind of authority there. And we could talk about what are, what the elder kind of authority elders have. And there's an authority, a responsibility that church members have. So we kind of talked about there a little bit about the church members have the authority of who's in and who's out of the church, right? Mm. Uh, and that's based on their confession, Right. Um, what what do people say about Jesus? Right. That seems what Jesus is doing with Peter. He says, Peter, that's what we're going to build the church on. What people say about me. Okay. Who do people say Jesus is? Um, does their life testify to that? And then they're baptized. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. According to that profession of faith. So there is the who, and then there's the what. Right. In Galatians, um, Paul makes it clear that the church in Galatia that there are false teachers in that church and that they are to throw them out of the church. They are to be accursed. They are to be cut off from the church, right? And he doesn't tell the pastor in Galatia, the elders there, to do that. No, he says that the church is to do that. So anyhow, that's what that's what I'm, I'm arguing for. Nate, I think that's maybe what you're for or against. For? For it. For it. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't be here if I wasn't. Okay, good deal. <laughs> good deal. Yeah. No, so I think that's super helpful because... Um, like we've been talking about kind of throughout the whole process, um, congregationalism is a spectrum. And like you said, um, all um, Protestant churches to some extent have levels of congregationalism in them. Um, And so what you're saying, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the job of each church member isn't, just to show up on Sunday morning, which by the way, right. that is their job. Yes, that's part. Absolutely. That's part of it. Um, and it's not just that they know what's going on in the church. Right. And it's not just that they're in good fellowship with other people in the church. And it's not just that they approve of the pastor and what he's doing and think that he's being biblical. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that they approve of members but it's also that they are helping to steer the ship of the church in terms of what it believes. Absolutely. And, and, and holding the church to sound doctrine, um, which I think gets to what we're talking about um, when we say that it's a discipleship thing. Um, why, why do you, I, I, without trying to give it away too much, why, why do you think that congregationalism is a discipleship tool? Because you said that. And you never really got into why, but why is that? Yeah, so, right, so, and that, that feeds in, that question also feeds into the the authority of, of an elder, right? Mm. Our, our authority is to preach and teach the Word. Mm. And our authority is to care for the sheep. And our authority is to model the Word lived mm. out in front of people. So, you know, that's what Paul's telling Timothy um, watch your life and your doctrine. That's what he says over and over <laughs> again to Timothy in First Second Timothy. Preach and teach sound doctrine and watch how you're living. Watch your life. Be an example of godliness to the people there. Okay. Don't let them despise you for your youth, Timothy, but set an example for them in godliness, right? And in holiness. So that's our authority that we've been given. And so and by doing that, what we hope to accomplish is disciples, as we teach them to obey the commands of Christ, and we preach and teach the Word and live that out in front of them and care for them, our hope is that they become the kind of people 
through that ministry that can do the work of the ministry. So, and that's so practical. So when we're, I mean, because you think about when we're going through church membership process, one of the things we try to communicate to people becoming members at Harvest is by becoming a member here, you're grabbing onto, you're signing up for a great responsibility of determining this church's doctrine for now determining who's in and out of the church, right? So so you just, just communicating that to people is a sense of here's the bar for church members here at Harvest, right? And here's what's expected of you, right? So therefore, I've kind of got to listen a little bit closer to the sermons now. Hmm. I've got to <laughs> read my Bible just a little bit uh, closer. I've got to make sure I'm prayed up. Right, I, I've got a. I don't just go to church. I'm part of the church when I go to church, right? I'm part of the the stones in the temple that we're getting at, right? Living stones, and so um, I, I just that is instead of looking for a program, I think if pastors would think that because if they're congregational, they're making disciples through the preaching and teaching and modeling of God's word, that they're trying to train people. And get them ready to make decisions. So I see our job as pastors much like a coach. So, um, you know, I coached basketball this year. I loved it. Um, I, I, I can only coach the play. I can only draw the play up on the whiteboard. I can only, I can only say make this pass. I can only show a kid how to shoot a jump shot, which it's, it's not great for me to try <laughs> to, to teach that. But you see what I'm saying? I can, but I can't do it. I can't go out there in the game and shoot the shot. I can't go out there in the game and run the play. I can just coach it, and then they have to do it. Okay. I think the coach is is somewhat the count. Given the counsel is the job of the pastor, and the players, the one on the field, the one who's running the play, are the church members. And I think that's a a dynamic shift than what we see in most churches today in America. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I think to that point with the discipleship thing, one thing that um, comes to my mind is the fact that the church is the bride of Christ. Um, and as you've said, we have, uh, as church members, I'm not saying we as pastors, we as church members um, have the keys uh, to that. And we have the keys to the kingdom. And we're called to eagerly and uh, as cl- close to holiness as we can, holy, holyly, uh, in a holy way, wait on the Lord. I don't know if that's a word, holyly. Um, <laughs> but um, we're called to wait on the Lord and to present ourselves um, to Him, a pure bride. Um, and that fall, that responsibility, as you said, falls on all of us. Um, right. And absolutely. Um, you know, it's, good it's not just the pastor's job. Um, it's it's all of our jobs, but yeah. Uh, and I think so, pastors so, just need to see. And I hate to jump in that pastors need to see their job as getting their church members ready and, and to a place where they can make those decisions and live out the Christian faith in the context of church by making those decisions. That's our job. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I and that's where you know when we we could have a whole episode on this. It's not on the list, but you know expository preaching. Um, is so important because um, there are so many churches today that, as you talked about Sunday, are s- much more concerned about uh, how can I help people get through tomorrow mm-hmm. than they are about helping their people learn what the Word of God says and then applying it to their lives. Right. Um, and so, uh, Pastor, if you're listening to this, preach the Word. Don't preach what uh, the last book you read was. Preach preach what the Bible right, says. Right. And, uh, Absolutely. You know, um, so, so let me ask you this. Um, we, we've talked a lot about um, kind of the spectrum of congregationalism. Um, why do you think there's such a resistance to this? I mean, it seems to me, um, you know, like there's uh, obviously a lot going for it. Uh, a lot of positives, both biblically and practically, as to why pastors should um, lead their church uh, mm-hmm. to be congregational. Um, and to see see that truth, um, but why do you think it is that there's so much resistance to congregations? I'm today? so glad you asked that, Nate. I think that's a great question. I really do. Um, 
two things I think come to mind. It's slow, slower. Mm. Things happen slower, and it gives it takes the power. The it takes um, uh, the power that a lot of pastors take in their hands and the authority that they have to kind of do whatever they see fit in areas of doctrine and membership. It takes that out of their hand and puts it into the hand of the congregation. Hmm. So I think a lot of pastors are against it for those reasons. One, it's slow. All right, let's just talk about that for a minute. <laughs> right? So if you want something done in the areas, let's, we're not talking about voting on carpet color here. We're not mm. talking about voting on. That's one of the misconceptions with congregationalism. You know, you're oh, you want to vote on everything? No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about um, giving the church the responsibility and authority to do the most important things in the church, which is what the church believes and who's in and out of the church. Okay, mm. uh, so those things. And if you want to do something in the area of doctrine and membership, which hopefully you do, right? That's hopefully what you should be about. That's what the church is about. And that's another conversation. Um, but it's going to be slow because you have to disciple people to get them ready for those decisions, right? Um, let me take a stab at something. When I was growing up in church, um, I thought this was the weirdest thing, that when somebody would come up front during the service, say they become a Christian, uh, they got saved right there in that moment, which many probably did, and I praise the Lord for that. What would the pastor do next? If they Let's say they got baptized the next week. They would say, they'd bring them to the front of the church, and they would say, now, raise your right hand if you want to welcome Bob and Susan into the church. Now, don't nobody else raise your hand if you're against it now. All right? Now, come give them the right hand of fellowship. Well, I want to say this about that. The heart behind wherever that started was close to what we're talking about. Okay? <laughs> like the church had a say of whether they were going to be members or not. But that was just kind of a, I don't know. It was, it, it really wasn't a real vote. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it really wasn't a real consideration. So, and I'm not saying we do it right at Harvest, and I think this could come down to practicality, but, you know, when somebody wants to join Harvest, it's a, it's a, it's a few months process, right? They got to go through classes. They go through elder, um, you know, interview. We present them to the church. The church has time to examine them, if you want to say that, or get to know them, ask them any questions about what they believe or anything, and then we take it to a vote. Mm -hmm. So instead of, oh, here's Bob and Susan you guys met two weeks ago, let's see if you know, let's vote them as members of the church, where Bob and Susan at that point probably don't even know what it means to be a member of the church, and they probably don't know because the pastor don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that whole kind of, it was just kind of, it become tradition. And what we're saying is let's get, maybe the heart behind that was good, but let's slow down. Let's take a little more time here, okay? And, and I think to jump in there, I think you can chalk some of that up to, to culture. I think especially in the American South uh, for so long, uh, Protestant Christianity has been such a prevalent thing mm. that everybody's a Christian. Uh, you know, what's wrong with, if everybody's a Christian, then why can't they come into the church? Mm -hmm. um, I think some of that mindset probably exists too, to, to your point. But Yeah, yeah. So it's slow, you know what I mean? Like yeah. becoming church members is slow. Changing doctrine or affirming doctrine is slow because you have to discipleship, right? For somebody to become a member mm -hmm. at Harvest, We've got to convince all of our church members that they should become members at Harvest, hmm. right? Like we've got to make an appeal to the rest of our church members as the coaches, as the council, as the elders, that these people are Christians, right? Hmm. Uh, and then it goes to a vote, right? Then it goes to where they accept them or not. And, and so when doctrine, we've got to disciple people that what we're voting on in terms of doctrine is biblical, so we've got to disciple them and what we're leading them to do, which is our authority and our, our responsibility in the areas of doctrine. It, it would be a lot easier and take a lot less time to stand up Sunday and say, Hey, church, um, we're now going to adopt the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy. Okay, have a good Sunday. <laughs> right? I mean, there would be, you know, yeah. and, and people would probably be okay with that. But we want to say no. 
Like that's mm-hmm. your responsibility, church. So we're we're spending the next couple months kind of talking about inerrancy at Harvest, going over that with our people. We've handed that document out a couple of weeks ago, and so we're just going to keep kind of bringing that up and talking about that, and hoping to disciple our people in the doctrine of inerrancy according to that statement. Right. So that's discipleship right there. Right. Mm-hmm. So and then we're asking them to put that in action, whether they they're for it or against it. Yeah, and, and to your to your point about it being slow and uh, the membership class and that whole process, um, you know, to that point too, you said we have to convince people that um, they're uh, willing to, uh, or that they're they're a believer. Um, mm-hmm. Not only that, but you know, part of becoming a member of Harvest is signing the covenant. And you know, one thing that I think that's been really cool to see when we do recommend members at our members meetings. We don't just talk about their faith, but we talk about their faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and because right. it's a process, because there's time, um, we get to see, hey, this person's been here every Sunday. And the Sunday that they weren't here, I know why they weren't. Right. And and they told me ahead of time, hey, I got this going on. And so we have time. And it's not like to, it's not like they were here for two weeks or three weeks. We're talking about hmm. they. We, you've seen them around here for three months. You know. And they've asked questions. They've had conversations with all the elders. Uh, hopefully, they've had conversations with other church members. Right. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's a, you know, being slow is not a bad thing. No. Um, and, I think and, and it's a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Why does the church need to be in such a hurry? That's that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe that deserves its ep- an episode in and of itself. Yeah. Why does the church need to be in such a hurry? For but, real. So... We have the the slow part. It's slow. People don't like it because it's slow. And then you also talked about the power part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, I think, uh, it gets into um, our own pride. Because um, I'll, be, I'll be honest, right? Like, as as an elder at Harvest, there have been times where I was like, man, can't we just, like, can't we just do this? Like, I want to do this. Why can't we do this? <laughs> right? right. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, you know, I think it's very easy to go down that path. And I can see how so many people have gone down that path of saying, Oh, well, you know, I just, I'm going to make this decision because it's the decision I want to make. And it's easier for me just to make it on an Island and it's mm. quicker. We can move on, you know, we Mm. can get, we can do more things missionally or evangelistically. If I just make this decision and we keep going. Mm. But to on the flip side, I guess, kind of, of that conversation talking about the church members, I think what you've seen happen in the modern American church is, um, for lack of a better word, I've been sitting here while we've been talking, trying to come up with the word I wanted to use here, and I think this is the best word I know to use. Um, Church members have found themselves emasculated. Wow, Um, that's what you come up with. That's pretty strong. That's that's the best way I know to put it. That's Galatians Um, talk there, friend. (laughs) Might be. Um, But I, I really think that most church members who are faithful, wise, um, mature believers have been a part of church structures that take the power out of their hands. Absolutely. That they just feel absolutely powerless. Absolutely. So, so much so that to, to talk about some kind of the other rubs that maybe we've seen with congregationalism, uh, so much so that when you bring up church discipline, oh whoa whoa, what? I don't even you know mean what we're going to do? What? That's a for- yeah. It's a foreign concept. And if they do understand it, they're like, "Are you sure we want to do that? We like, might get sued over this." Yeah, like, can we do that? And then, closed communion. Talked about it a few weeks ago. Wait, you mean we're going to say what? Which the say two the- go together? No, absolutely. Yeah, like you can't excommunicate somebody and have open communion. How, nope, how do you true. how do you do that? Can't <laughs> right? Can't like it, 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 if by excommunicate we mean no longer able to take communion with us, meaning mm. we can no longer affirm that you're a Christian. We're not saying you're not a Christian. You may be. We're just saying we can't affirm it either because mm. you, your sinfulness or because of your decisions to not be whatever. The church has said we can no longer affirm 
your mm-hmm. Christianity, your affirmation, your confession of faith, your fruit in your life, because for whatever reason, we're not in a place that no longer confirm that. But to say that, you have to believe that the church, the church's job and responsibility is to affirm people's faith. Mm. So that's that's another conversation, but I think biblically that is you can't get away from that. That it is the church's job to affirm those who do confess the right things and seem to live that out in their life, right? Mm. So if you excommunicate somebody, well then, and we're also saying that communion is saying by those who take communion, we're saying yeah, we think the people taking communion are Christians as far as we can tell. Mm. Okay, so how do you say to somebody you're we're excommunicating you? And then have open communion where they can, they can take the, the outward sign that they're a Christian. When you just said, I don't think we can do that anymore. So that's another mm-hmm. practical reason we have closed communion. Yeah, but sorry, that, I, this, just, I just stepped. No, up you're you're good. You 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 just went down a rabbit trail. That was fun. That was good. Mm-hmm. It was it was needed. I think. But, but you were saying when when you think about this emasculation to use the word of that word, church church members. Um, and whether it be from... <laughs> can I say... Can I give you an illustration of think what you're getting at? Sure. I think you're getting at, like, the castration of a farm animal with a rubber band. It just happens... Yes. It's happened so slow over mm. time, and then that that's gone, and didn't even know it was gone. Mm. You never know you had it. Yeah, exactly. And I think... It, it, I don't think it's just polity, right? I think it's, it's there's a whole spectrum of things that have happened in the American church that have caused this. Um, and in fact, I would say that this issue is probably one of the biggest reasons uh, why we are even doing this podcast, because For we sure. want people to understand uh, the richness and the depth of the responsibility that they have as Christian as a church member, um, and to understand the richness that is uh, God and the gospel and all of that. But whether it's um, just to, to name a few of those things, whether it's um, you know polity like we we're talking about, um, where uh, power is stripped from people, uh, whether it's the model where it's just hey come to church and just watch the show like you were talking about. Right. Um, I think that strips the power from the people. Um, because there's no responsibility in that. I don't right. have to show up every week. And so if I don't have to show up every week, I certainly don't have to make decisions. Well, then the um, biggest responsibility people have is to serve in a program. Mm, and you should, yeah. if you're a church member, like you should serve physically Absolutely. at that church. Just like you were saying, you should come to church, you should serve the church. But that is not the greatest responsibility that you have yeah. as a church member. Um, to name another uh, worship music, I think emasculates church members. Oh yes, uh, because absolutely. it's so fuddy-duddy, feely. No. Every time I hear the statement, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. I think every man, every Christian man, cringes when they hear that. Yeah, it's true. It's like, okay, yes, we understand that, but it's also a religion based on truth. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think when you look at the emasculation thing um polity i think is at, at the center what of people it because, wear to church yeah that's another one that's true you're gonna keep going down the path <laughs> keep throwing things we keep should going. i thought about we should have an episode about what people wear to church close yeah that's a hot topic. Actually, that's a topic yeah. nobody even cares about, just to be honest. Let's just be yeah. honest. All of our topics we've chose, not many people care about. Mm. We do, though, right? Shouldn't. That's why we're doing them. That's why we're doing them, because we care. Yeah. We like yeah. it. We think that you should care, too. We think that you so, should care, too. The, all we three people you, that hear this one day. We think that you should care, too, so much so that we're sitting here at 1015 on a Monday night uh rambling on about yeah and i got one more thing to this. say about this that's on my mind okay and i'm just cutting you off like 20 times you're good um, Go for it. what come first the chicken or the egg okay just hold that the in chicken. your mind for a minute yeah what come first congregation or elders hmm. can you have a church without a congregation hmm. can you have a church without elders pastors or a pastor and I want to say, you can have a church without a pastor or pastors. In fact, the early church didn't have elders and pastors. Why did in Acts 14, over and over, did Paul say, 
Paul and Silas, we have to, and Barnabas, we're going on our second missionary journey to do what? Appoint elders in the churches that were already established. They didn't have pastors and elders. What did Paul tell Titus to do? Appoint elders at the church there in Ephesus. They didn't have them, but they did have a congregation, right? So Mm -hmm. you can, and, and it makes sense. You don't have to have a pastor to have a church. You can have people committed to one another, somebody expounding the Word, people expounding the Word of God, people caring for one another, people overseeing who is in and out of the church and declaring the doctrine of the church. Right and decide that you can have that and not have pastors and elders because of this priesthood of believers that we've talked about. Okay, but you can have elders and not have a congregation, and you don't have a church. Hmm. So I don't know, just something I was thinking about. No, I think it's really good, and and I think kind of along those same lines. Um, just kind of the last thought I had going down the the path that we were going down a second ago. One of the biggest problems going back to kind of the discipleship thought. Uh, that uh, I've faced in ministry um, and the short time that I've been in ministry is leadership development. Um, having people to uh, lead the ministries that we have created and the the programs that we've created saying that we need them. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked about this till we're blue in the face sometimes, but, you know, so many churches look around and they go, why are we having such a hard time finding leaders? Mm you're having such a hard time finding leaders because you're letting and you're, you're not just letting, but you're training people that church isn't about being involved. It's about just coming. Right. Um, and so, um, congregationalism fixes, I wouldn't say it fixes it. It greatly, greatly, greatly helps in fixing that. Yeah. It produces ownership in people, right? They have a stake in it. They're not just participants, they're owners. Right, and that's what I hope our people at Harvest here, if they listen to this, that's what I would love them to take away with. I see our members as just as much as part of the church as you and me. Hmm. You know, they have, they actually have more responsibility in a sense than you and I have. You know, our sense is to coach. Our job is to counsel. Their job is to do. So, um, will Harvest succeed or fail well that's that's god's ultimate sovereign choice and providence right um but in a a here now sense that responsibility lies on our members Hmm. yep that's good so you're saying that the success of the church uh, in terms of ultimate success is in god's hands but when it comes to the day-to-day faithfulness of the church uh, that that lies not in the hands of the pastors it doesn't lie in the hands of the deacons, but it lies in the hands of the people who go to that church and call themselves members and are called members by the church. And and that doesn't take any less. It it does take a burden off the pastors in a sense, because Hmm. pastor, your job is not to plan programs and events. Your job is to preach the word. And uh, if anything, studying the reformation, that's what I've got out of it. Um, Reformers in the early days were concerned about preaching the word to their people. They're concerned about pastoring their flock. That's our job. That's our number one responsibility. And if we do that, that takes up enough of the day, I promise you. Um, We do that well. That takes up more time than we've got. And knowing that when we give an account one day to the Lord, it'll be on how we pastored them, cared for them, how we counseled them and trained Mm -hmm. them for the decisions they make in their life and in the life of the church. Um, so it takes a great burden off of us that we don't have to do it all. You know, mm. we still have to do our part, but we don't have to do it all. That's It's a shared burden of the church. But it also puts a greater burden on us, and I think that's why the Scripture says not all of you should be pastors, not all of you should be <laughs> teachers, right? Because your judgment will be greater because it almost gives more weight to preaching and teaching, right? That, in a sense, mm. not only does this affect their lives, but what I say on, on the Lord's Day or when we gather on Wednesday night or Sunday school, whenever I'm, I'm teaching our people, whenever you're teaching our people, whatever songs we sing for that matter, right? Whatever prayers mm-hmm. we pray, all the things yeah, that absolutely. we do, whatever, however we fellowship, that grabs a greater weight because that affects how they make decisions in the life of our church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just thinking about the 
freeing of the pastor and what you're talking about there. Uh, so many people, as you alluded to, are in the pastorate who are called to be faithful church members but are not gifted to be pastors. And because of that, uh, they find themselves looking to do things uh, outside of what the office of pastor is called to do because they're not gifted to do those things. Right. Um, and so they find themselves worn out, burnt out, discouraged. Um, and then on the flip side of that, um, you know, one thing that's been so encouraging to my heart um, at Harvest, and this is not a bash at uh, my previous position in the least. I am grateful for the opportunities I had um, at Maysville and everything that um, God allowed me to learn there. Um, so I don't want anyone to take this as a bash at Maysville, but um, since being at Harvest, um, it's just been so encouraging for me to get to exercise that gift of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, I believe, um, and the church has affirmed, that God has called me to do that. And um, my thing is, like you said, uh, if that's what God's called us to do and that that's our primary responsibility is teaching, leading, uh, praying for, um, encouraging the, the flock, um, how in the world are we supposed to have time for anything else? Right. Um and there, there's not time in the schedule for, for much else other than that. Yeah, um, you, you make that a priority, that's for yeah. sure. So, for sure. Um, and then if you're a church member, right? If you're, if that's if that's what uh, God has for you in the in the life of the church is to just be a faithful uh, church member. Uh, what time more do you have than to give to getting to know um, the people in your church? Um, knowing what they believe and think about the scriptures, holding them to that, um, being expected to be held to that, um, and then also uh, in making decisions in terms of uh, the the life of uh, the theology of the church and the membership of the church. Um, you know, what, what a great responsibility and joy that should be uh, for you, church member. Um, and that should be freeing for you, that you don't have to, um, you know, do all these other things that church members put on themselves, but uh, you get to do this most important thing and do that well. So mm-hmm. um, it's a beautiful, it's almost like God knew what he was doing when he set it up that way. hundred percent. So uh, anyway, well, it's been a good conversation. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. It's yeah, me encouraging. too. I love this. So, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I, 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 like, I think we've said this before, but I think if nothing else is accomplished by this, uh, it is a huge encouragement for me just to get to sit and think about some of these things. Um, yeah, and I too. hope that those listening, um, that you would have that same feeling about this. That um, One thing that I, I didn't get to talk about in my Sunday school lesson Sunday, just because of everything that happened, uh, was um, I was going to talk about why theology is so important and why we're even taking time to talk about this. Because mm. um, we were about to start talking about heaven, and maybe I'll talk about that this Sunday. Um, as an introduction to heaven, because some people might have the temptation to look at um, this topic of polity or, uh, you know, talking about heaven and what is to come and say, why in the world are you wasting time talking about that? Um, But when you remember um, that uh, theology um, informs our worship, what we believe about God informs uh, how we praise him. Shailen has the thing about uh, theology and doxology mm-hmm. and how theology without doxology um, is just cold, idle orthodoxy. Right. And it's just boring knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side of that, like so many people in the church today, um, doxology without theology is idolatry. Right. Um, and, and that's why this stuff is so important, because we don't want to fall prey to um, the same trap that... Uh, the, the serpent got Eve to fall into, and that is to question the word of God and to create a God in her own image and to uh, make herself a God. So where she makes the decisions and she calls the shots. Um, and so uh, that's why theology is important because um, it keeps you grounded in the word of God. But I don't know if that's worthwhile or not, but yeah. Well, next, uh, next episode, should you attend an LGBTQ wedding? Mm, thanks, Alistair Begg. I'm <laughs> just kidding, jerk. Uh, we should talk. I about really that don't know sometime. how to feel about that, man. Uh it's just. Mm. I, I think what Doug Wilson do. said about it is Romans one. That's how you feel about well, it. Well, the no, end of I, Romans yeah. one, the last verse I, in Romans one. 
Yeah. I I agree though with what Doug Wilson said when it comes to um, this, you know, the whole Alistair Beck thing, because you can't throw away a whole man's ministry over one or two ill-informed statements. No, the man is is great. The man has yeah. been a faithful servant. He's one of the best Bible teachers in our mm-hmm. generation, or not our generation, the generation before us. No doubt, yeah. one of the best hands down but mm. he aired there and he he won't put the shovel down as we all do mm-hmm. sometimes we all do that's a that's uh and alistair himself says uh even the best of men are men at best mm. that's true mm-hmm. but men called to faithfully be congregational and lead their church yeah he's a big congregationalist too i love he alistair is. i'm a lie we should pray for our brother we should. Needs it. Yeah, should. he needs it What are we doing next, Chris? I picked this episode. What are you doing? What are we, where are we going next? Mm. Let's do sensationalist versus continuationist. Okay. Let's do that one. That'll be interesting too. Yeah. And you can, you can inform me about this, uh, matriarch thing you're talking about. Patriarchy. Oh yeah. Sorry. Matriarchy. I know that was intended. All right. All right. Listen, what happens in your house is your own business. That's true. Uh, I have I have the authority in my house to give counsel, but not make decisions. <laughs> You're the elder of your house. Your wife's the congregation. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> the Lord has uh, He has selected the weak to lead the strong. And Watson's the deacon. Just <laughs> yeah. told to move chairs. <laughs> it's true. Take the take up the money. Um, All right, man. Well, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, see you back in a couple weeks with the next episode. All right. Thanks, Nate. Thank you for listening to the Big Boy Church podcast. Big Boy Church is a ministry of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, you can check out our website at harvestbc.church. You can also email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com. We hope to have you back next time for another episode of Big Boy Church. Thank you.